We have been in a series that we have titled, We Are One, based out of Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. We've been walking verse by verse through this book of Ephesians, this jam-packed book with so much rich treasures in it for the past year, and we jumped back in two weeks ago into the second half of Ephesians chapter two, and we looked at verse number 10. I wanna just remind us where we came from so we can know where we're going. Ephesians 2.10 said it like this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This reminder, first off, that one, we are his, right? Before we even get to the workmanship, let's be reminded that we are his. Praise God, we have a good, glorious, loving, heavenly father. And he says, we are his workmanship. It's the the Greek word poema, which means his poem, his masterpiece, his craftsmanship. We are his masterpiece that has a purpose, created in Christ Jesus for this purpose, for the good works that he's created us for. Last week, we did a domain assessment. We realized we have over 15 languages represented in this church alone, which I love to know because we're a multicultural, multi-generational, multi-dysfunctional church, I'd say, right? <laughs> right? You know? And no, the only perfect person allowed in this church is Jesus, and he's making us perfect every single day. Um, so we're living out Ephesians chapter two, uh, verse 10, but, but what happens here is the Apostle Paul pivots from verse 10 into this new section in verse 11 through 13, and that's what I want us to look at here this morning with the remainder of our time. He continues by saying, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands, he goes on to verse 12, he says, remember, we're using that word a lot today. Remember that you were at this time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope in without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, he says, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I'm grateful that Peter brought such a good word that I just am gonna bring some commentary to it from Ephesians 2, verse 11 through 13. Same message that we're talking about here today. It's the story of the Bible. From the Old Testament to the New, God has, has, has this overwhelming narrative for you. God loves you enough to send his son for you, to have a relationship with you. That doesn't just start now, but he, it goes into eternity with him forever. I wanna preach a message to you today that I'm titling, Don't Be a Stranger. Don't be a stranger. Would you do me a favor? Would you preach the title of my message to the person next to you? Just tell out and say, friend, don't be a stranger. Don't be a stranger now. Tell your wife, tell your husband. Say, don't be a stranger. Get to meet somebody here at Walk Church. Don't be a stranger. Father God, speak to us through your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. He says here, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, this type of language could be a little bit strange coming from the Bible, but one of the reasons why I love expositional preaching, or in other words, going verse by verse, exposing what God has revealed to us in his word, is because I don't want you to read that and have no idea what it's saying. But we can know through looking at his word. He starts out by reminding us 
and reminding the Ephesians, which was made up predominantly of Gentile people who would come to believe in the Messiah, of their past. He's reminding them that, hey, once upon a time, you people that had a non-Jewish background were classified as Gentiles. A Gentile is the Greek word ethnos. It means a native, or it means a foreigner. It means somebody who comes from a different tribe. It means somebody that comes from a different place, a different origin. This, the, the, the Gentiles were classified as so if they weren't from a Jewish background or Jewish inheritance or Jewish faith. The Gentiles. In this city of Ephesus, there would be very little Jews in this city. Paul brought the gospel to this city. People put their faith in Christ, in the Jewish king of kings, Messiah, and were brought into this body. And we see here why it's important because I, be, I bet you that a lot of our stories are similar. Unless you have a, um, a Jewish background, as far as your parents, the word Gentile would be your classification apart from a Christian. And this why, that's why this, this message right here is important for all of us to consider. One of the reasons why Gentiles were considered to be Gentiles was because of the uh, covenant that God had made with his people all the way back in Genesis chapter 17. So in Genesis chapter 17, God identified this man by the name of Abraham, and he made a covenant with this man. How about it? God himself makes covenants with people. And he made a covenant with this man, Abraham, and this is what the covenant looked like. It may be a little unique, but let's go ahead and read it anyway. Verse 10, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Verse 11, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight, he says, days old, among you shall be circumcised. He says, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, verse 13, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. Continues, so, so shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So this is the language that God gave to this man, Abraham, and he said, you gotta keep it. You better keep it. So what happened is the Jewish people, rightfully so, off, off of this message, right, this deep message to Abraham, said, man, we gotta keep it. And we gotta make sure that anybody who doesn't keep it stays far away from us. Gentiles wouldn't even have known of this message that was given to Abraham. It would have been foolish to them. It would have been foreign language to them. And so what Paul is doing here, he's saying, hey, remember where you came from. As we look back at verse 11, he says it right here, right? He says, hey, Remember your testimony, Ephesians chapter two, verse 11. It says, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, you were Gentiles by your flesh. You were called the uncircumcision. Gentiles would enter the room and they'd be like, oh, we know who you are. You're part of the uncircumcision. That means that you don't have the covenant. That means that you're not like me. That means that I'm better than you was actually the feel that was had, that had been happening in this culture. I think it's interesting that Paul tells the people of the Ephesian church to remember that. Why is it important to remember that? 
Uh, even in verse 12, as we continue on, Paul says, I want you to remember. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Shows us right there on the spot. Again, he says, remember. The word remember is used 232 times in the Bible. It's the Greek word menima, manu, and it means to, to have a memory of. It means to, 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 to think back, to look backwards and remember. Just what we just did at the table. We remember the cross. We remember the blood. We remember his death and his resurrection. He says, remember. And right here he calls us to do the same thing. He says, remember where you came from. Remember that you were a Gentile, part of the uncircumcision. The covenant belonged to Jews. The covenant belonged to the circumcision, right? And so what happens here is, is now the, the church in Ephesus has Jews in it. It has Gentiles in it. They're both, what do we even do with each other, right? And this is the we are one message that Christ brings both together. Christ breaks down barriers of hostility. Christ defeats all types of racism and segregation. Christ says that Gentiles can sit next to Jews in the worship service. This is crazy according to this culture and this time in history. If you don't see it like that, this won't make sense to you. This was Crips and Bloods, right? This was, this was Golden Knights and Capitals. Come on, somebody, right? Don't be wearing no Caps jersey in here. Don't do that. We'll pray for you afterwards, okay? No, but, but the, the, the point is, this is UNLV and UNR. I can't even say UNR. No, no up north. Lord bless them. Lord bless them. Um, th that's, that's Gentiles and Jews. In the Ephesian church, which was a Greek paganistic culture, and isn't it so of God to say, I'm bringing y'all together to sing the song covered by grace. The cornerstone is Christ. The Ephesians look this way because of Christ. And so what Paul's saying, he says, remember where you came from. Ephesians 2.12, what, what does he call us to remember? Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. A five-point sermon on why you should be depressed. A five-point message in verse 12 on why you have no hope at all. Like, if, if we isolated verse 12, that'd be a bad day. Like, why would I want to remember those things? I want to give you a, a, a principle to live by. This is a biblical principle. Write it down, screenshot it, follow our social media accounts, and we'll post it. Uh, remembering leads to repenting. Remembering God's kindness toward you removes sin's power over you. Hear that one more time. Remembering God's kindness toward you, when you take time to reflect and remember that, that will remove sin's power over you. We see this on display for us in Romans chapter two, verse four. Let's look at this verse together. He says, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? What's, what, what's Paul writing to the Romans? He's saying, it's not the wrath of God that leads you to repentance. It's not, oh, you better get right or you'll go to hell that's gonna lead you to repentance. It's not like you're gonna die and, 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 and be burned in the lake of fire if you don't receive Jesus. That's not what leads you to repentance. He says, it's actually God's kindness that leads us to, 
turn away from sin. It's the reality that you should be going that direction and God for some reason intervened. That you were once separated, alienated, apart, had no hope in the world and God said, that's the person I want. When you reflect on his kindness to you, hey, evidence of kindness, join me right now. Everybody take a deep breath. (sighs) Isn't that kind of God? Couldn't God himself just like taking the air away? Couldn't he? When we reflect on the kindness that he woke us up this morning, he's given us clothes to wear. He's, He's created space for us. He's created us in Christ Jesus for good works. He's given us jobs. He's given us opportunity. He's given us a snack table and a coffee table and he's given us screens that work and a microphone and an iPad. I'm like, man, this is so much kindness all around me. I don't wanna sin. God's forgiven me. He's loved on me. He said that he's not going anywhere. He says he's gonna be a good heavenly father. I'm walking with you wherever you go. I'm right there with you. All that reminder should, should, should speak to your heart. And he says that kindness should lead you to stop sinning. Right? It's when you totally blow it and you do the sin that you told God you were gonna stop doing. It's when you totally blow it and God says, I still love you. That, that word leads you to say, man, I ain't going back to that. It's when, you, it's when you blow it in your marriage, right? And you know that you shouldn't have done that and your spouse says, I still love you and forgive you. Doesn't that make you not wanna do it again? Right? Hopefully for, for kids in the room, right? It's when you, when you really mess up really, really bad and you know a spanking's coming or something and your parent says, I'm not gonna do that. Instead, we go into Chuck E. Cheese. Whoa! Right? That's like, I, I, that type of grace, that type of grace makes me not wanna sin again. That type of grace makes me want to be obedient to him. Remembering leads to repenting. The more we can reflect back on how much God loves you, the more that will lead you to follow him. Follow a loving father. We got to redeem the reputation of Christ. Some people have a wrong view of Jesus. You got the wrong view of Christ. We got a good, good father in Christ. And the heavenly father who loves us and calls us to be his He's created us for himself. And he says, remember that, in verse 12, that you were at, at that time, you were separated. Gentiles were separated from Christ. They had no, no idea about who Jesus was. They could care less, but that was a big deal because if they didn't have a savior, they weren't gonna be saved. He says, you were at one time separated. That should move you. But not just separated, he says, you were one time alienated. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. To be alienated, it means to feel isolated, to be estranged, to be set apart, to be not wanted. Some translations say you were alienated from the citizenship of Israel. So not only is he reminding them, he's reminding them, hey, at one time you were separated from Christ, you were also separated from his people. Gentiles, I I want you to hear this. He says, if you're a Gentile here today, he's saying to the Ephesian church as well, you you were separated from Christ and you were alienated from even the city, from the people. They wanted nothing to do with you. you, you were unclean. Think about this letter, this letter being read to the Ephesian church, and they know exactly what he's talking about. I saw a picture of separation and alienation 
this past week. It, it, it actually came from watching SportsCenter. I don't know if you guys watch that show at, at times, but I stumbled upon it. And um, one of the things they, they, they mentioned, and see, God uses these things to sometimes speak to me. There was a, 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 a soccer fan or a football fan, if you ask why, right, um, in, in Turkey who was getting so rowdy and in, in making such a, a ruckus that they removed him from the stadium and said, you couldn't come back in to ever watch a game again. And so here's what this man did. I'll show you a picture of it. Right? He said, all right, that's fine. He rented a crane. He drove the crane up to the stadium and lifted it as high as it went and just watched the game from the crane <laughs> right outside of the arena. I said, that is brilliant right there. What, what does that have to do with the, the message? I, I don't know. He was separated from the people. He was alienated. You can't come watch the game anymore. This is a picture of a, of a Gentile, right? Separated removed, you, have, you no longer have access to this place. That they were separated from Christ, alienated from the citizenship. His, his tickets were removed, revoked. And I love what this says here, that, that God's not done. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They were strangers to the covenants of his promise. Strangers, what, is it, what, do you, what do you classify as a stranger? Right? It doesn't necessarily make sense. It doesn't fit. Strangers to his promises. I want you to be reminded that all the promises in the Old Testament belong to the Jews. We see it in Romans chapter 9, verse 4. They are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises belonged to the Israelites. But I want to remind you of something here today, church family. We see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, as Paul writes to the Corinthians, another pagan-filled, Gentile-filled church. He says, all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it's through him, Jesus, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. The point is this, friends, that if you know Jesus... You, you're reconciled to not just him, but to his promises as well. The promises of forgiveness, the promises of another chance, the promises to eternity, the promises to be able to worship in unity together. As we finish up verse 12, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the citizenship, the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. I mean, that's a sad day to have no hope. Gentiles once had no hope. No hope for eternity. No hope for forgiveness. No hope for salvation. You can look back at ancient European history, especially around this time of the early church, and you can see the writings of several rulers and kings that said, my hope is in this world, for I have no hope in God because they were separated from God. Separated from his love and his grace and his promises without God in the world. Friends, I, I hope that you wouldn't be a stranger to God in this world. That you wouldn't be a stranger to him and you wouldn't be a stranger to his people. And why this is important, hear me when I say this, why this is important is because as we finish this sermon, you don't have to be. You don't have to be a stranger 
because of what we see here in verse 12. As we get ready to finish up this message, let's go ahead and focus our attention on verse 13 before we close. My favorite word in this book of Ephesians is this first word that starts with the letter B. Everybody shout it out. But, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, separated, alienated, strangers, no hope, that was your testimony. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Why are we so passionate about the cross here at Walk Church, about the blood of Jesus? Why do we talk about these things? Well, because that's the testimony of one who's been brought near. When you remember, when you remember, that's why God would oftentimes tell the Jews, do you remember when you were in Egypt? Do you remember when you were slaves to Pharaoh? Go read the book of Exodus. They were crying out day and night, having terrible food and whips on their back. And then God redeemed them and delivered them out of the hand of Pharaoh. And he would always say, remember. Do you want to go back there? No. In this case, it's the same. Remember where you were when you didn't have Christ. Think, think about that for a second. Don't go back there. Remember that and be like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm doing all right right here. I'm going to follow Jesus. This language right here in, in verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, in the Messiah, it's important that we know who we are in, that we're in him, that the Gentile person can be in Christ and the Jewish person can be in Christ and we become one. One family, one body, one Christ, one baptism, one church, one family. This, this would have never happened in the ancient days. This picture of, that I'm looking at of our amazing church would have been totally foreign. You couldn't sit next to the, the, that person. They might be unclean. But now we're one in Christ. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off. Let me, t- let me give you a picture of what church used to look like in the Old Testament. I wanna give you a picture of the temple. We see here in the, in the temple, this was Herod's temple, right? When it talks about being far off, Let me show you guys where the Gentiles were allowed to hang. We'll put some circles on the the Gentile hangout spots, all right? So this is where the Gentiles were allowed to worship and fellowship. It would be like everybody was in the parking lot at Schofield. You didn't get a chance to walk in and meet all the greeters. We're having our awesome church service, right? And all the Gentiles are outside like, did you catch that word? I didn't really hear much of what he said. I'm trying to listen in, right? Because they weren't allowed to be in because they were separated far off. It was a privilege to be able to go inside the temple of God. It was, it was crafted and so beautiful and it was where the presence of God was supposed to dwell. I was reading this commentary from John Stott on the book of Ephesians. He writes, the, the, the temple building itself was constructed on an elevated platform. Around it was the court of the priests. East of this was the court of Israel, and further east, the court of the women. These three courts for the priests, the laymen, and the, the laywomen of Israel, respectively, were all on the same elevation of the temple itself. From this level, one descended five steps to a walked platform. 
And then on the other side of the wall, 14 more steps to another wall, beyond which was the outer court or the court of the Gentiles. This was a spacious court running right around the temple and the inner courts. From any part of it, Gentiles could look up and in view of the temple, but they were not allowed to approach it. They were cut off from it by the surrounding walls. He continues and finishes up, which was a one and a half meter stone barricade on which were displayed at intervals warning notices that were in Greek and Latin. They read, in effect, no trespassers will be prosecuted, trespassers will be executed. Far off. We can't worship the living God of the Bible. That was the mentality. I close by us looking at 13 one more time. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Could you imagine the temple open? The veil was torn, and there's access to God for all people. Jesus touches a leper's face. Jesus ministers to a prostitute who is caught in the act of having sex, is dragged before him, and he says, you're forgiven. Jesus walks with people from all sorts of backgrounds. Jesus ministers to Peter in Acts 10 and says, no, Go to Cornelius' house. He's a Gentile man and preach the gospel. It's for him too. And so today we sit in a church that has Jews, that has Gentiles, that has over 15 different languages represented, some that I couldn't even pronounce. But I'm grateful that we're all one today. And what makes us one is that phrase right there, the blood of Christ. I couldn't think of a better message to focus on as we partaked in the Lord's Supper just a minute ago to remember Christ. He loves us that much to die for us, rise for us, and to intervene and intercede on our behalf. I would encourage you today, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, regardless of your background, regardless of your struggles, regardless of your mess ups or your, your history or your nationality or your ethnicity, regardless of any of those things, that today you would say, you know what? The, really, the, the antidote that I need is Jesus. If I wanna be brought near, I need Jesus. Apart from him, you're still far off. If you're a Jew, you're still far off. You know the promises, but you're far off. If you're a Gentile and you don't know Jesus, you're really far off. And that's why we're passionate about the gospel. And I'd submit that to you this morning. Put your faith in Jesus as the one who by his blood can bring us near. Amen. He can bring us near.